The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily reflect the views of Money Radio staff, management, or advertisers, and do not represent an offer to buy or sell any securities. Some interviews heard on this program may be sponsored by the participants. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Stock Doctor's Prescription right here on KFNN Money Radio 1510, 105.3 FM. In the house with me, Justin Kenny, this Justin. We also have Nikki Ward, our megalennial. We got a lot to go over today. And by the way, we have a fantastic guest joining us this afternoon. We have, okay. The one. All right. The I, only. The, okay, but the name is, is very difficult to pronounce, but we are going to be speaking in the next segment to Ryan Isakainen. He's the ETF strategy at uh, First Trust, senior VP of First Trust. And he is going to, I mean, this guy's been on a lot of different, uh, he's been all over the place in media. He's been on CNBC, Fox Biz, uh, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, Barron's, IBD. But um, he's a strategist for First Trust. And First Trust, by the way, the sixth largest ETF sponsor in the country based on AUM. And um, they have some really, really interesting uh, investment opportunities within the First Trust family of funds. So we're going to be talking to him in just a few moments, so stick around for that. We're also going to be taking your questions, which you can ask your questions by emailing us feedback at stockdr.com. That's feedback at stockdr.com. Today is Wednesday at about 12.05 p.m., and we appreciate you guys joining us for the show. And you know what? We don't know where things are going to close out today, but we know where they closed out yesterday. And the markets did manage to squeak out again. The Dow was up a little bit, 11 points at 34.294. The S&P was flat for all intents and purposes, 42.91. The Nasdaq Composite up about two-tenths of a percent, 27 points at 14,525. And the Russell was down about four-tenths of a percent, 10 points at 23.12. But what I really want to talk about is, excuse me, last week. We had a tremendous week last week. And, you know, it's turning out that June is going to be a really strong month. I'm really impressed with what's happened in June. People came out of the woodwork from May. It was uh, was unbelievable. I mean, for the week, last week, the Dow Jones up 3.4%, the S&P up 2.76%, the NASDAQ 2.36%, the Russell. Now, they had been getting pelted lately, but the Russell 2000, the small cap index, up uh, 4.3%. I mean, it was really a great week and to top off a great month. In fact, it was the best month for the NASDAQ this year. So if you look at what's going on with the NASDAQ composite, it really has been underperforming slightly because what has not been working? Well, the big NASDAQ stocks, the Tech. Apples, the Netflix, the Amazon, the, well, Google's working okay. Google, bra. And Microsoft, they have not been really working that well. I mean, they're, they're doing okay, but they're not outperforming the indexes. And uh, now all of a sudden you see them starting to kick into gear. And, um, you know, it's interesting, though. There was a big gap until this month. There really was a big gap between value and growth. Obviously, when the year started out, money was flowing into the value side. You saw it really significantly outperform. It got to the point where large cap, cap value was uh, six, seven, eight hundred uh, basis points ahead of growth. But now it's tightened up a little bit. So year to date. Large cap value stocks up just under 17%, while growth stocks just under 13%. So 400 basis points, but it's closing the gap a little bit. But when it comes to the small stocks, small cap value 
is uh, up 32.5% year to date. That's value, small cap value. Growth, 16.86, so half as much. Uh, sectors on the move last week, energy, financials, and industrials were the strong points. Uh, staples, real estate, and utilities were on the weak side last week. Uh, advanced decline, not bad. It was about 26 to 9, advancers versus decliners. We had 452 uh, new highs and 88 new lows, so the breadth of the market was pretty good. Barring any disasters today, the uh, S&P 500 will be up six quarters in a row. That's pretty impressive. I think about six quarters in a row. It's a good uh, run. It's a, it's a pretty damn good run. Now, the other thing that happened this week was Facebook joined the, uh, the five horsemen. The trillions. Yep. Now they are part of the five horsemen. Was the four horsemen. <laughs> and uh, Facebook got a valuation two days ago, got up to one trillion, $1 trillion valuation. And think about this. Just four years ago, Facebook was at $500 billion. And when they IPO'd in May 2012, they debuted with a market cap of $104 billion. That's uh, pretty impressive. Incredibly. Yeah. I and mean, we've been in and out of Facebook many times, at least four or five times since they've started trading. We've all logged the, in and the, logged out. We've all, got it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> all the way back to that IPO day. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have not, we're not in it now, but I wish I was. I, I let the regulation and the lawsuits and the uh, Department of, of Justice and all that get into my head and I just couldn't pull the trigger on owning Facebook. So my mistake, I mean, we own other things, but Facebook has been an outstanding performer. In fact, when you talk about the NASDAQ not performing, certainly wasn't because Facebook wasn't doing its job. I'll tell you, of this list of the five horsemen, is that what we're, we're coining yeah, the let term? Me, yeah, let me give you the five horsemen because, and this is the order of the size, and we know that, of course, Morgan & Morgan's size matters. It's their new slogan. But, um, the five horsemen based on the size of market cap, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and now Facebook. What's amazing to me is that the first three, I know exactly how they got to a trillion dollar valuation. And how is that? Well, I mean, think about it. If, if Apple, they, they sell more f- extremely expensive cell phones than McDonald's sells Big Macs. That I get. Okay. You know, Microsoft, I get it. Right. The last two... Google and Facebook, I don't even know how they monetize. It's data. Ad- advertising and data. You. Selling. You selling are the product. Me. Yep. I am the product. Yep. And selling your information to other people. Sneaky. Yeah. I don't like it. But, you know, you want these services for free. You got to pay for it somehow. For it. There ain't I, no I, such thing as a free lunch. Google's a, you know. It's a verb. It's a verb. So you Google everything. Mm-hmm. What if you didn't have Google? Think about that. I mean, think about what if you didn't have YouTube? Exactly. This always Google. It always reminds me of when the Manning uh, Eli was on Saturday Night Live, and they, the whole setting was that they're in court, and his um, the way he could prove that he wasn't guilty was they had to show his Google. Search history? Search history. And he goes, no, I'm guilty. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll I would take it. rather die than someone see my That's Google funny. search history. So uh, you're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. You know, just so you know, folks, we are a money management firm. And uh, we are fiduciary, so we are fee-based asset managers. And we have a lot of different things we do for our clients. And notwithstanding 
the just the, the the fee-based asset management, but a lot of the financial planning side. And and we do a lot of work in the Phoenix Scottsdale area as well as all over the country. But uh, you, know, you can give us a call, certainly 888-855-2855, 888-855-2855. If we can answer any of your questions or uh, talk about what we do. But what I want to go into a little bit of this, we have a few minutes. And then next segment, of course, we have Ryan Isa Kynan, and he is from e- he's a, the ETF strategist at First Trust, which is a tremendous firm, by the way. And in full disclosure, we do use First Trust ETFs, among others, but we do have a portfolio of those as well. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot in our research. We not only do fundamental analysis, which is what to buy, we do technical analysis. It helps us when to buy and when to sell. And it's it's not a science necessarily, it's an art because it can be interpreted many different ways. Charts can. And we've been seeing, we've been talking a lot on this show the last three weeks and we use this in our management. We buy stocks based on, hey, great companies that have good charts and and we're looking for the leaders. And a lot of people say that and William O'Neill really made that famous by uh, you know buying the leaders and, and selling the laggards or not buying the laggards. But we've seen a lot of constructive charts lately and a lot of the charts, a lot of more breaking down trends like the apples of the world, like the, well, Amazon was in a long base, but Apple was in a long downtrend. It broke out of there. And Apple almost, I mean, damn near today, almost broke out. It needs to break out of 36.50. I'm, I'm sorry, 137.50, I believe. I'm going to verify that. But, um, and that would get as a clear breakout. And then he probably test the old highs. I'm sorry, 137.07 is the pivot point. On Apple, which again broke a downtrend, so that's very positive. We've seen a lot of that going on, but it has to be when you look at charts, it can't be the only element in your research. You need to do your homework, you need to look at the insider buying and selling. We talk about that. Uh, we want to look at, I think, one of the most important parts of research and parts of your investment decision making is the industry group and/or subgroup because. The majority of the reason why your stock is going up is not only because it's probably a good company, but it's also within a strong sector, a strong group. Even the crappiest energy stocks are moving up right now because energy is working. So, you know, we have to really look at this and that we try and combine all this to give ourselves a better chance. And in the investment world, it's never 100 percent. You're never going to be 100 percent right you're never going to be 100% wrong because uh, you know you can get even a blind squirrel finds a nut. But what you want to try and do is eliminate, increase your probability of success and eliminate some of the easy losers. And when you're buying things in downtrends, one thing about, and, and I wrote a book years ago and I'm, I'm in the process of rewriting it. I want to do a new, a new edition of it. But rule number one in technical analysis is that trends persist. And think about it. You're driving your car. You've taken your foot off the gas. It, that's going to persist. You're going to keep rolling. Until it doesn't persist. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Exactly. So if you have a chart that's going up, barring pullbacks and, and the stair-step approach, it's probably going to continue to move higher. Uh, same thing with going down, though. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know we all find that stocks go down a lot quicker than they go up. But anyway, we're going to take a short break and bring uh, Ryan to the show. We really appreciate you guys joining us. You're listening to Prescription. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you losing sleep over recent market volatility affecting your hard-earned retirement savings? Let's face it. If you're at or near retirement, you can't afford to lose 40% of your nest egg like so many did in 2008. 
On one hand, you want safety and guarantee of principle. On the other hand, most people prefer the potential of higher growth by being linked to the market. Now you can have both. Principal protection during market downturns and desirable market-linked growth during upturns. When the market goes up, you go up with it and your gains are locked in. And when the market goes back down, you're guaranteed not to lose. It's that simple. If you like the idea of avoiding market risk but earning more than a CD, call Siler Wealth Management at 407-831-8002. We'll keep it simple. We'll teach you time-tested, proven strategies to help grow your income and keep your principles safe for retirement. To get started, call Siler Wealth Management at 407-831-8002 and listen to Money Radio Wednesdays at noon for the Stock Doctor's Prescription Show. kills in Arizona. Life is more important than your phone's beep. Stop the distracted driving, Arizona, please. Sponsored by the Arizona Chapter National Safety Council and the Governor's Office of Highway Safety, aired in cooperation with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Hey, everybody, and we are back. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I am Lee Seiler, also known as the Stock Doctor. Thanks for joining us on Money Radio, KFNN, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. Alongside of me is Justin Kenny and our megalennial Nikki Ward. And I told you at the beginning of the show that we had a really special guest. And uh, I, I'm going to pronounce your name correctly because I've really been rehearsing it, Ryan, all morning, and I, I wrote it phonetically on my sheet, but it's Ryan Isakainen. He's an ETF strategist and senior VP at First Trust Portfolios. Uh, you're, you're all over the media. You're on CNBC, Fox Biz, uh, Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal. But uh, anyway, welcome to the show, Ryan. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing very well, Lee. Thanks for uh, inviting, me, inviting me to join you. Great. And, uh, you know, we have some questions for you. And But I do want to say with full disclosure that we we do use First Trust ETFs. And if you do your research, you'll know why. Because they are one of the best in the industry. They are the sixth largest when it comes to assets under management in the country. And, um, you know, Ryan, one thing is we know and I think that there certainly there are advantages to owning ETFs and not just advisors, but it seems like around the world in the investing world, money is flowing more into ETFs than the traditional mutual funds as it, as most people used to back in the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a trend that I think is fueled by just more efficient tools and, you know, certain advantages that ETFs uh, have over mutual funds. We've seen uh, literally trillions of dollars rotate from mutual funds, especially in equities over to ETFs just here in the U.S. and the same sort of trends we see overseas. Now, is transparency a big reason why you're seeing this move, to the shift to ETFs? You know, I think that is one of the underappreciated benefits of ETFs as you kind of see them, the, the press and articles that you, you may see talking about ETFs. The fact that an investment professional or an investor can look at an ETF and know exactly what's inside of it, know exactly if they're going to you know, put together an allocation of several different ETFs where you may have overlap, where you may have gaps, uh, where your returns are coming from. All of that is contingent on transparency. It also helps the ETFs to trade better because they are exchange traded. And so if you're a market maker and you're you're interested in, in making fair markets, it's really helpful to know what the securities are that are underlying the portfolio. So that transparency, I think, 
is one benefit that you really can't um, you know, speak too highly of. I think it's really beneficial. You know, I always make the analogy with our clients and when we do events that uh, an ETF is somewhat like a hybrid between a stock and a mutual fund. So it's got the, the portfolio, the built-in diversification of a mutual fund, but it trades like a stock. And that's one of the advantages as an investment professional, as somebody who manages money, I like to be able to, when I want to buy this holding, when I want to buy this basket of securities, I want to buy it right then and there. I don't want to be at the mercy of the closing price at the end of the day like you would be with a mutual fund that's yeah that's another big advantage i think that the ability because you know we, we see on every especially over the last year and a half the amount of movement you can have over the course of a single day um is pretty pretty um remarkable when, when you think about you know back in february and march of 2020 you saw some really big moves up and down that's not typical but the ability to move in and out intraday and not have to wait for a closing price that you're not even sure is going to be higher or lower than when you put it in order, as is the case with the mutual fund. I do think that's a big advantage that can Huge. add value over time. Yeah. I think I think for the example, folks, let's say there's a big drop in the market and you say, you know what? I feel good about it now. The, mar- the Dow's down 500, 600 points. I'm going to put an order in this XYZ XH mutual fund. And at the end of the day, by the end of the day, the market's back up and it's only down 100 points. So you didn't take advantage of that move. But with ETFs, you can take advantage of some of the volatility and some of those swings. Now, this is a, I'm going to ask you a question. Is it um, a myth or is it a fact that ETFs trade based on supply and demand? Uh, well, everything trades based on supply and demand. I think the, the, that is a fact. The myth might be that there is a limited amount of supply with, with an ETF because that is um, not exactly true as it is with a, it, with an individual stock or a, you know closed-end fund. There's a limited amount of supply. Not the case with an ETF where you have supply uh, able to expand or contract in order to meet demand for shares. So basically, if somebody, you have a, a big institutional buyer out there, they can buy what they want and they put, you know, we always good practice, put limit orders in because things can move a little bit. But if they buy a huge block, it's not necessarily going to move the actual price of the ETF. It's really the price is somewhat based on the underlying securities or the net asset value of the underlying securities. That's right. That's right. And there, the, the way that that is insured is there is what we call an arbitrage opportunity where if there's a dislocation between the price of the shares and the underlying securities, because remember, these are transparent, so you know exactly what's in the portfolio, where you know either the shares are trading at a discount or a premium to the underlying securities, other institutional investors can take advantage of that. And let's say they're, you know, the ETF is trading at a big premium, they can short the ETF and go along the underlying shares and vice versa. So they, there's always institutions looking to you know, squeeze out any inefficiencies. Is that the risk the market makers take that they may have, hey, I'm a big buyer, I want to buy a million shares of your RDVY, and they say, here you go, but then they don't have it and they have to go out and buy it and the market gets against them. Is that kind of their, their risk? Well, you know, they are very, very efficient in managing that risk. So let's say they sell you shares of RDVY um, that they're going to have to create at the close of business that day in order to not be short those shares of RDV, RDVY, the most efficient way to go about that is to buy the underlying securities and then those are delivered at the close of business. So from, from that perspective, they're not in a risk position. They're actually long the underlying securities that make up the ETF okay. and then short the ETF share. So it all 
it all evens out. It's not a risk position for the market maker. And by the way, RDVY is not a recommendation, folks. It was just an example. It's their rising dividend achievers fund. But um, I wanted to get into, I know you guys are really, really good at, and we use you guys quite a bit for the thematic flavor in the portfolio. You know, that hub and spoke approach, the spokes. And you've done really well at finding, as far as a firm, is looking for disruptors. So I'm going to ask you, as the ETF strategist for First Trust, what disruptors or disrupting sectors do you think is going to take us into the next decade? I think there are several. And, and it's, you know, the, the, the crystal ball is, is always uh, better in hindsight than it is looking forward. But, you know, when we look forward at the expansion of the digital economy, whether it's retail online, whether it's telemedicine, whether it's 5G for your phone, all of that is contingent upon having a very robust cybersecurity system uh, even even physical assets. We saw the Colonial Pipeline hack not too long right. ago. Um, you, you really need to have that cybersecurity. Uh, and there are you know several companies that are competing with one another that are growing as they do so that we represent in, in one of our ETFs, CIBR is the, the ticker for that particular ETF. Um, and so that's one of my favorite ideas. It's, it's you know early stages of the cybersecurity growth, in my opinion, and this is one of those areas that there are so many other um, you know, technology and digital innovations that are going to be dependent on cybersecurity. So that, that's certainly one of our favorites. And um, so, all right, so you have cybersecurity. I know uh, we talked yesterday. You still like energy. Do you like commodities in general at these levels? So commodities, if you think there is going to be more inflation in the, the coming months than there have been over the last few years. And that is certainly one of the things that we think that, you know, there's just been so much uh, added to the money supply, uh, so much so much creation of new money. That's going to inevitably uh, result in some inflation that, that, you know, maybe some of it will be transitory like the Fed thinks, but we think that there's probably Shot. a good chance that there's going to be more of that. So commodities is another area that we think make uh, make quite a bit of sense for an asset allocation model. Uh, especially since they haven't performed as well in the last decade, really. Right. This may be the time for commodities. Uh, we're speaking to Ryan Isakainen. He is ETF strategist and senior VP at First Trust Portfolios. By the way, you can check out, uh, I know they all, a lot of analysts in the firm, they have commentary, a lot of great information and research on FT. That's the uh, stands for First Trust, ftportfolios.com. It's really a, a fantastic tool. We use it and we're, we're professionals. So we have about 45 seconds. I got to ask you, Ryan, uh, I know Brian Westbury, he's been known as the perma bull. He's very bullish. Give me either your company line or what you think the market's going to do for the rest of the year. Well, I think we're seeing a bit of a rotation from the, the growth stocks that really dominated the performance last year into some of the value stocks, although that has kind of flipped back on its head it over sure the last has. few weeks. sure has. Um, so, I, you know, our my view is that you have to kind of have some of both, uh, maybe call that a cop-out. But we like stocks at these levels, especially with interest rates as low as they are, with the profit growth that we're seeing, with the pent-up demand. I think the broad brush takeaway is you need to own stocks. Um, and, and have a barbell approach between some of the high growth areas as well as some of the really cheap areas that are more tied to the cyclical economy. As things reopen, we think um, you know you have an opportunity with both areas. Yeah, and Ryan, and we you know we have ten seconds, but corrections happen, right? It's going to happen. Doesn't matter. We don't know how. We're not going to see a bear market here soon, but corrections happen. Absolutely. All right, we are speaking to Ryan Isakainen. Did I get it right, Ryan? 
You nailed it. All right, fantastic. From First Trust Portfolios, he's an ETF strategist and senior VP. Ryan, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care. again. Bye-bye. Hey, that was great. I mean, it's really good to hear these pros talk about what's, what's really working out there. Hey, you're listening to Stock Doctor's Prescription. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Being in control of your money provides freedom. Learn how to make it, spend it, and invest it. We're Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM. USA Radio News with Tim Berg. President Biden says the threat of wildfires in the western United States is as severe as it's ever been. We know this is, uh, this is becoming a regular cycle, and we know it's getting worse. Biden, not citing any specific facts while speaking with cabinet officials and governors, also said extreme heat and droughts are getting worse while the government is playing catch-up. Pennsylvania's highest court has overturned Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction after finding that an agreement with the previous prosecutor prevented him from being charged. The 83-year-old comedian has served more than two years in prison and is expected to be released today. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is praising former President Trump for his border policy, the pair taking part in a border security briefing in the Rio Grande Valley. You're listening to USA Radio News. If you're tired of the old cable news, you now have a choice. It's Newsmax TV. More than 40 million Americans are tuning in, making Newsmax the fastest-growing cable news channel in America. Every minute, every day, Newsmax gives you the real news you can trust. With top analysts, hosts, and guests like Ben Carson, Mike Huckabee, Alan Dershowitz, Dick Morris, Nancy Brinker, Mike Reagan, Rudy Giuliani, and so many more. It's easy to watch. Find Newsmax on all major cable systems or get Newsmax free on streaming platforms like Roku, Zumo, Pluto, YouTube, and most smart TVs like Samsung Plus and LG. Remember, Newsmax is different than most cable news networks. You can get it for free on your smartphone. So download the Newsmax app and start watching right now. Join the Newsmax revolution and get us everywhere. Online at Newsmax.com, on your cable channel, your smart TV, and your smartphone. Because when news breaks, you need a trusted source. It's Newsmax. If you're still working, you're still making money. But what about retirement? Make sure you have reliable income then, too. Keep listening to your money radio experts to find out how. Many investors aren't aware that as you get closer to retirement, it's important to protect the savings you've worked so hard to accumulate. After all, you can't take the same type of risk you did when you were younger. The problem is that traditional safe money strategies like CDs and bonds aren't performing as well as we would like them to right now. On one hand, you want safety and guarantee of principle. On the other hand, most people prefer the potential of higher growth by being linked to the market. Well, now you can have both principal protection during market downturns and desirable market-linked growth during upturns. When the market goes up, you go up with it. And when the market goes back down, you're guaranteed not to lose principal. If avoiding market risk and still earning more than a CD sounds good to you, call Siler Wealth Management today at 407-831-8002. They've developed proven strategies to not only grow your income, but also keep your principal safe for your retirement. To get started, call Siler Wealth Management at 407-831-8002 and listen to Money Radio Wednesdays at noon for the Stock Doctor's Prescription Show. I'm Jim Chesko with Your Money Now. Stocks haven't made any huge moves today, but could snag another fresh closing high if the S&P 500 can hang on to its narrow advance. Here in the session's final hour, the S&P is up about four points. 
The Dow Jones Industrial is doing much better, up 193. The Nasdaq Composite, though, is down 18. Moody's Analytics Chief Economist Mark Zandi warns the housing market is headed for a correction because home prices are so overvalued by more than 20% in some markets across the South and West when comparing price-to-income or price-to-rent ratios with their long-run historical averages. Ford Motor today announced some significant production cutbacks for July, citing the ongoing semiconductor chip shortage the automaker will idle or reduce production at eight of its plants, six in the U.S., for various lengths of time. It also noted the production of its Ranger pickup, a new Ford Bronco SUV, will be down two different weeks in July because of unrelated parts shortages. Ford shares down about 1% today. That's your money now. I struggled with symptoms like frequent gas and stomach pain for years. I was bloated all the time with daily diarrhea. At first, I thought it was what I was eating. I kept thinking it was stomach issues. So I did my research and talked to my doctor, and we finally uncovered the truth. It It was was actually EPI. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, is a condition where your pancreas is unable to help break down your food. It can lead to symptoms like diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. And EPI symptoms can be confused with those of other common digestive conditions, like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, and celiac disease. So getting to the right diagnosis meant being more open with my doctor about the severity of my symptoms and how often they were happening. But there's good news. EPI is manageable, so don't wait any longer. Use the symptom checker at identifyepi.com and schedule a visit or call with your doctor to ask, Could Could I I have have EPI? Hey, everybody, we are back. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. I'm Lee Seiler, also known as the Stock Doctor. You're listening to us on Money Radio, KFNN 1510, 105.3 FM. And we were just speaking to uh, Ryan Isakainen. He's the ETF strategist at First Trust, Senior EP. And um, interesting. I mean, they do have a nice menu of uh, investment opportunities. So I do encourage listeners out there, check out FT Portfolios, plural, ftportfolios.com. I mean, it really is, uh, they, they have some good research on there and institutional quality research. Incredible resources. And we share them with clients quite frequently. We do, we do. Uh, speaking of research and speaking of investing, you know, the, the in ETFs, your girl, Kathy Wood, you're a big fan. She's one of the few actually money managers out there, less than 10%. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that. And Kathy Wood, of course, she is the founder of the ARC Funds, and uh, she has filed with the SEC to do a um, to, uh, for a Bitcoin ETF. Putting her money where her mouth is. Yeah. And uh, so, what do you think? Is that is that add more credibility to this uh, risk cl- risk class, this asset class? Not, I guess you call it an asset class. Eh, maybe, but I also don't think that I don't think the regulatory risk is going away, and I don't know if she's going to get approval for it. Well, other companies are trying. Mm-hmm. Trying. So, so the question is, does she have uh, the weight behind Enough her clout? to make it happen? I don't know. But, um, you know, it's one of these things where it's I think it's probably needed because the only way if you want to buy this, if this is going to happen and there's going to be trading in this asset class, you can buy the Bitcoin trust, Grayscale. Mm-hmm. They also have the Ether trust mm-hmm. um, or then that. But that there's some arbitrage. He was, there's some differences there, too. Or you go through a Coinbase or one of those companies. And I did read that Kathy Wood. I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but she's going to be using Coinbase as the platform in which the exchange would happen. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we are changing the theme music. Can we keep for it? For today's million. Today only. No. Today only. Today only. 
It is time for our millennial moment with our megalennial herself, Nikki Ward. And we're playing Britney Spears for a specific reason today. Another millennial. Yep. So it is long past time to hashtag free Britney. So in 24 minutes of devastating courtroom testimony last week, Britney Spears finally described in graphic detail what the result of this rigidly circumscribed existence or her conservatorship has been like. It's been in place since 2008 after her infamous breakdown. I thought you said circumcised. No, circumscribed. Circumscribed, okay. Yes. So a conservatorship is one of the most restrictive legal remedies that exist in our judicial system. It takes away a person's right to make any decisions over themselves, usually taken as a last resort in cases of people with severe intellectual disabilities, mental illness, or dementia. So since 2008, her dad, who was appointed despite Brittany's objections and is far from neutral, he's now controlled nearly every aspect of her life. So at times, at least, she couldn't carry her own credit card. For 13 years. 13 years. Credit card, phone, or passport without permission. She had a life of basically no privacy. There's someone that is watching her day and night. She couldn't take a vacation to Maui unless she agreed to see a therapist in person twice a week. She can't drive in her boyfriend's car without permission. She's unable to get married. And my just this, the dagger for me was that she is not allowed to remove her IUD or implanted birth control that device. That is unbelievable. Somebody knows something we don't. You know, it's just to me. Look, yet Charlie Sheen. Yeah. He had control of everything. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr., who was once taken away by the police after he walked into a neighbor's home, undressed, and fell asleep in a child's bed. <laughs> when, when, he, when they called 911, you can hear him snoring in the background. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then Brittany's dad. He's the Iron Man. Jamie plays the perfect jerk in Iron Man. Yes. But Brittany's dad, Jamie, a man so ragingly inappropriate, Kevin Federline, sought and received a restraining order to keep him away from their two sons. That's the baby daddy. Mm-hmm. And was awarded that. Yep. And received oh, it. Oh, so he did get that. Yes. yes. So there's a restraining order. Against To keep like him from seeing grandpa. his grandsons. Yeah. And, wow. and he's. But yeah, he's, he's, in, he's in control of all now, of Britney's let life. Me, let me ask you. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, please. Is he compensated for this? Oh, oh yes. Handsomely. Hmm. So he is the steward of her nearly 60 million fortune, which seems like a low ball number. He earns a salary of about $192,000 annually plus a two thousand dollar a month allotment for office space rent in addition to commission on various deals signed for by him for his daughter and right she still has merchandise out there selling probably and Brittany pays for his legal expenses so the court that she's petitioning to get this conservatorship dropped she's paying for him she's to fight charged. on the other side right. she's being charged she's paying for it. right yeah and she gets a small stipend i heard two thousand dollars a week despite her earning over the lifetime of the Las Vegas residency, it was $176 million. Someone who can perform at a wow. high level like this is not someone who is mentally incapable of taking care of her financial life. How long ago was this residency? This residency? It wasn't that long ago, was it? It wasn't that long ago. So it's, I don't know, it's the within exact... recent time, within the last five years or so? Yeah, and so within a year of her being deemed unable to care for herself, she guest starred on a national television show, America's Got Talent. She released a number one album, and she embarked on a run of almost 100 shows around the world. Okay, something doesn't sound right here. Uh, yeah, something doesn't. And so her, her lawyer is court-appointed, so she didn't even get to select who represents her. He has earned more than $3 million since he began representing Britney in 2008. 
So every, well, everybody's making years. money around here except for her. And that's the thing. So the, my, my closing argument on this is like the typical celebrity entourage prospers by catering to the stars every whim. And in Spears' case, the opposite is true. The supposed mad woman in the attic is supporting a cast of thousands that rely on keeping their benefactor prisoner. Wow. I, I just feel like we're not being told yeah, anything about there's her. There's something missing. About her, her profile. So she was hospitalized twice in a mental institution in 2008. And the reason or the diagnosis of her mental illness is still sealed by the court. So... And listen, the American so judicial system. Want, so she doesn't want it out there either. It's it's not that. I'm sure she could come out on an Instagram post tonight and say, I suffer from whatever it is. Bipolar or whatever. Right. But the main reason or whatever was determined in 2008, that is not public knowledge. But even if she attempted suicide, okay, mm-hmm. even if she did that. That's 13 years ago. And right. she's done a lot since then with her residency on, and worked and made money. All she did was kick a few cars and shave half her head. <laughs> exactly. To be fair, though, in the documentary of Framing Britney Spears, she tells the paparazzi she's in a, the middle of a custody battle with Kevin Federline. She wants to go see her kids. She has asked this paparazzi person multiple times, please leave me alone. Please leave me alone. I would go nuts, too. If you watch it, there is no way the average person put under this microscope wouldn't freak out like she did and i honestly was gonna watch it and then i decided to just go on about the rest of my life i don't care that that really is a a sad story and there is there another hearing scheduled or other we're waiting to hear what the judge says based off of her testimony last week and it's gonna go from there but especially in the legal system it's so much easier to do something than to undo it wow so Britney Spears, and you know, I think that $60 million net worth is way low. Yeah, yeah it's got to be. It's got to be more than that. But I mean, she is supporting this ridiculous cast of characters and they're all making money off of her. So, And I'm sure she has to pay child support for the kids. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. She doesn't have custody of them. So I'm sure she's paying that. Maybe alimony. Who knows? Wow. K-Fed with the alimony. And she yeah. can't get married, so it's not like she can stop the alimony. But she has a new relationship, right? She does. And she said she wanted to have a baby. She with would this. like to, yeah, but until her conservators allow for her to go to a doctor, she can't get pregnant. Wow. That's an interesting story. Nikki Ward with the Millennial Moment. Thanks, Nick. Free that Britney. Was, uh, free Britney. That, you know, that, that blows me away. It's pretty crazy. How can... I think of all these people that are crazy in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, in first and foremost, you think of Charlie Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen, Tiger Blood. That guy's nuts. Yeah. Hashtag winning. Yeah. I mean, the guy's crazy. And he was out there doing all sorts of terrible stuff. And yet nobody's taking his money or, I mean, I'm Maybe sure he's got some out of court settlements. Court. <laughs> I'm, sure he's, I'm sure he's paid out some money. Hey, um, you know, we've all followed the GameStop saga. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's a meme, the meme training, the meme stock. Uh, interesting, the brokerage firm Baird has thrown in the towel. They used to cover the stock. They stopped covering GameStop because they said the speculative trading by retail investors makes it absolutely almost impossible to give reasonable recommendations on the stock. They had a neutral rating with a price target of $25 a share. I absolutely, totally agree with Baird because there's no reason and no, uh, nothing reasonable behind what's been going on in the uh, behind GameStop. Like I said before, I don't agree with them at all. I feel like twenty five is way too high. <laughs> it's I, I a mean, brick and mortar store that sells something you can download. 
Okay, but they have sold some stock, and they're going to try and reinvent themselves. They've sold it into the faces of people. Uh, yeah, and we're going to talk about that. We're talking about dilution, too. In the next segment, when we come back, we'll talk about, uh, hey, the market's had a pretty good run here. You got Carnival selling to the market. They needed to raise some money. And there was news about a cruise ship. The Disney cruise ship had to turn back because of, uh, I guess, two positive COVID cases. So we'll talk all about that when we come back. You are listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription. So we ask everybody to stick around because we will be right back. We're back. Thanks for joining us this afternoon, by the way. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription right here on KFNN, Money Radio 1510, 105.3 FM. Always uh, great doing the show for you folks. We appreciate, we appreciate you. And also, if you want to get your questions answered on the air, all you have to do is email us, feedback at stockdr.com, feedback at stockdr.com, or you can call the office, 888-855-2855. If you want us to talk about some of the first trust uh, ETFs. We want to talk about. We have a uh, a disruptor portfolio of ETFs. We can talk about that. About our our money management services. Um, you know, also the the guaranteed income annuities, things like that, that we can help you with the whole gamut when it comes to financial planning. Uh, but you know, we've been talking about the markets, and, and it has had a pretty good run. I mean, this year we've had some good moves year to date. We're in the mid teens. I mean, close to year to date. But um, you know, we're currently on the 18th longest stretch. Since World War II, without a 5% correction. Now, corrections happen two, three times a year. That's very common. Um, and obviously, last March, we dropped 34% in 33 calendar days. That's quite a, that, that's that, quite a hit. That was a rough few days. That's quite a slap there. <laughs> um, but we were break even by August 18th. I know. It did not last long. No, and I love that. Um, we had two late... Last year, we had two kind of corrections last year, September and October. We started rallying back in uh, early October to give it away. But, um, you know, I we had a question, and this is a listener in Orlando. Jerry in Orlando asked, the market has made a big move this year so far. That's why he wanted to talk about that ahead of time. Uh, do you foresee a correction coming? And if so, should I start going to cash? So this is a common question. We get this a lot. From clients, hey, do you think we're, I hear all the time, hey, when's the market going to crash? Is it too high? Is this, look, are we stretched valuation-wise? Yes. Is the market overbought by many metrics? Yes. However, markets can stay overbought. And what we're seeing is, I think, we're seeing different types of bubble bursting. We're seeing just... I think the rotation is causing little bubbles to burst. And we saw these tech stocks like DocuSign and Teladoc. They were down 30 40%. Those bubbles burst, and now they're coming to the Kathy Wood stocks, mm-hmm. and they're coming back up. So I'm going to answer this question, and I'd like to hear you guys what your take on it is. But I think, first of all, that, yes, is the correction coming? Yes. Absolutely. It, they, always, they always show up. And corrections show up when you'd least want them to show up, which is pretty much every time. <laughs> but you will see it, and you will see probably this year a 10% correction. I would say it's not going to be 5%. It's probably going to be 10 But should you start going to cash? No. Here's, here's what I do, and I'll get your guys' take on it. But when, when I start seeing things getting ahead of themselves and I look at the individual charts and I see a lot of extension, a lot of things overbought in which 
a, a little pullback to a moving average is going to take it down 15, 20%. Then I'm more likely to maybe let's, let's take the chips off the table on this one and put the cash away and wait. Let's live to play another day. I am never an advocate of going to cash because if I would have gone to cash every time I thought about going to cash, I'd be out of this business. Would have been for a long, long time. Right. The thing is that people love talking about going to cash. Oh, I think it's too high. I think, you know, I, I want to protect my profits. The people that talk about taking everything they have out of the market are, are it's, it's lip service. They, they, if they do it, trust me, the market has shaken out the sucker and it's going to go higher. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. I mean, how many people did we hear sold in March of last year, April of last year? Cause they couldn't take it. I can think of two less than smart people myself right <laughs> yeah. off the top of my, right off the top. Thankfully, our clients didn't do that. No, because, they took our advice. No, and and you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, we the market was getting weak a little bit before that in February, and I, I we bought February, March, April. We were buying and adding to positions or or putting on new positions because look, did we did we know it was going to be back to break even by August eighteenth? Of course not, but. I thought that this this exogenous shock would probably not last as long. It wouldn't be a prolonged bear market. It wasn't an economic situation. It was a, hey, we shut down the economy. How much longer could the economy shut down for? Not forever. Of course not. No. And I also think, you know, you should always avoid never, never use always. But I will never recommend that a client or anyone else go strictly just to cash. All in anything. Right. Correct. And I also think that now would be a great opportunity to start increasing maybe your contributions to a taxable account so that you have cash sitting on the sidelines. So when the inevitable correction does happen, you can take advantage and buy a great company at a cheaper price. Right. And you know, Ryan uh, from First Trust was talking about that disconnection. Mm -hmm. We had an absolute major disconnection in March, April, May, June, July of last year. And if you sat there in cash, you missed out on huge opportunities. These were huge. These were, I'm not going to say once in a lifetime buying opportunities, but once in a decade type opportunities. For sure. And it was a once in a lifetime pandemic. Right. Right. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah right. So, so anyway, I, I hope that we answered your question, uh, Jerry. We, we would not go to cash, but if you have things that you got huge profits on that maybe you're extended, that you want to take some chips off the table and leave it there and just put it, get it ready to go. And there's also some things we use in the portfolios. I did a lot of some cash equivalents. If I wanted to keep a little cash, I'm, I'm putting it to work at 1.3, 1.4%, just to, at least it's better than money market rates, and it's it's uh, fairly secure. So those are things that we're looking at. Yeah, you don't want to lose purchasing power, which is what cash will do. Exactly. I mean, because inflation is running rampant. It mm -hmm. really is. So with inflation running the way it is, you're going to have some problems possibly if you're in straight cash. Now, you know what? I want to go to another question, too, because it does lead up to another uh, subject that I think is kind of important. We had a question from... Let's see, Lauren from Scottsdale. Lauren from Scottsdale, Scottsdale last week on the show heard that we thought bank stocks could do well since rates had recently dropped, and which they did. You know, we had rates at one seven, one eight. They dropped to below one point five. That's where we sit right now. If she wanted to buy a, and I'm paraphrasing, buy a bank stock, which one would you buy? Well, it was interesting because the stress test, the Fed released the stress test results, and all the banks passed. Everybody. To me, you that, get an A and you get an A. That's incredible. Every bank passed. Well, and it opened the door for the banks to start giving back money to their shareholders in the in the form of dividends and or buybacks. And I know people say, well, buybacks not giving me back any money. 
Well, it is when they they shrink the the float of the of the amount of shares outstanding and makes your shares a little bit more valuable. So they give it back that way. But almost all the major banks, Nikki, are uh, they're going to increase their dividends. I mean, I, I, the only one that I saw was not going to increase their dividend was City. Yep. Keeping it right? unchanged at 51 cents a share. Yeah, but uh, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Wells is going to increase their dividend 100%, but they had a very small dividend to start because they were struggling with uh, I don't know, credit card problems. They, had, they, they, they ran into a few little snafus over the last few years, maybe taking out credit cards in other people's names and stuff. Yeah. They don't, they don't like it when you do that. But these bank stocks are going to increase their dividends significantly. Yes, yeah, so... Morgan Stanley is going to double their dividend to 70 cents a share starting in the third quarter. They're going to buy up to 12 billion of their own stock through June 2022. Uh, JP Morgan boosted its dividend by 11% to a dollar a share. Goldman is increasing their dividend by 60% to $2 a share. Bank of American America dividend will rise 17% to 21 cents. And in April, they announced a 25 billion share repurchase plan. Uh, and then, like you said, Wells Fargo was one of the few that had to cut their dividend last year after a less than satisfactory just, just uh, some, some little stuff stress test grade. And uh, so they are going to increase it by 100% to $0.20 cents per share and announced an $18 billion stock repurchase plan. So Morgan Stanley's dividend yield right now is 1.5% roughly. So they're, you said they're going to double that? Yep. So it's going to be $0.70 cents a share. You know, you're buying a quality company with a 3% yield. That's not too shabby. That's why we bought City last year. I bought City right. last year in April and it had a great dividend. And, and we were, everybody was afraid could cut their dividend, but uh, they didn't. And the stock did really well for us. So to answer your question, Lauren, um, I think, and right now, the only exposure we have to banks, unfortunately, is through an ETF. We have that first trust ETF that's FXO. And I'm not saying it's a buy right now, but we own that. We've owned it for a long time. So we bought a bunch last year, but we have owned it for longer than that as well. I, I think, and I'm looking at them right now, I'm probably going to go the direction of I want to do a whole investment plan, meaning I want not just uh, regular banking, I want investment banking, I want trading services. I think Goldman Sachs could be one of my favorite ones. And then I'm likely to take a look at J.P. Morgan, probably. Um, they they seem to really be hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, I... I'm not going to go city again because the fact that they did not raise their dividend, that to me is a little bit disconcerting. I hate Wells. Um, <laughs> For personal reasons. Yeah, I just hate did them. Did they take out a credit card in your name? No, they didn't, but I just can't stand them. You know, they're the most difficult people to deal with when you have a mortgage with them. Yeah. I mean, they're impossible. I also personally like Morgan Stanley. Yeah, I, you know, Morgan Stanley would probably be okay. And I, we, we owned, I've owned it in the past. Look, I think the bank sector is going to be great. So I, I think I'd probably, again, these are not recommendations without us talking to you because we don't know your situation. We don't know um, what your risk tolerance is and, and how experienced how experienced you are investing in stocks. But we'd like to, Lauren, so give us a call or shoot us another email. And guess what? We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat station. You're listening to the Stock Doctor's Prescription right here on Money Radio, 1510 AM and 105.3 FM. Everybody have a fantastic week.
Are you in the stock market, investing bonds or commodities, thinking about currencies or emerging markets, or how about annuities and real estate? Hear about all of it in one place only, so you can make informed decisions. Right here at Money Radio 1510 and 105.3 FM.